You are listening to Books Are My People, a podcast for book lovers with book news, recommendations, and ruminations on living a literary life in Los Angeles. This is episode 95, and I'm recording on January 25th, 2023. We have a bonus episode today. I'm excited. January's a long month, so we get an extra episode in. My youngest son woke up Saturday morning with a hankering for a mullet. This is a feeling I myself have never experienced. So I took him to the barber and within 10 minutes he had his new do. It's definitely a look, but he usually has a baseball cap on or a hockey helmet on. So I keep telling him to show it off. My poor dad was targeted by some evil scammers who called him pretending to be my youngest son in jeopardy. The voice on the other end of the line was super upset and had a whole story about how he was in San Diego with a friend of his who had gotten drunk and he kept repeating, please don't tell my mom. And my dad thought it was really my son. And I'm so mad at these people because they could have given him a heart attack. I guess the end game was obviously to get money, but my son was very clearly safe at school and totally fine. These people running these scams are the worst. And the only upshot is we have the number they called from. So we're turning that into the police. I'm sure they get thousands of reports like this a day. There is a cozy corner in hell for people who prey on the elderly. If you signed up for my newsletter, I hope you're enjoying it. The fourth one goes out tomorrow. I've been enjoying curating even more books for you, as well as links I like. You can sign up through a link in the show notes or by finding my link tree on my Instagram at Jennifer Caloyeris. And now it's time for some bookish news. British playwright Hanif Qureshi suffered a fall in Rome and is now paralyzed. He's the author of Buddha of Suburbia, among many other things. The 68-year-old of Pakistani and English descent had to have spinal surgery and has been updating fans about his experience on Twitter. We wish him well on his road to recovery. So scary. I feel like January's been a really weird month for bad things happening to people all around. It's been quite unnerving. I read a really interesting article in the New York Times about how climate change is affecting book preservation. Fires, floods, all of these weather events are damaging important books and archives and collections. A report found that 99% of collections are going to be affected by a weather event in the future. Even something seemingly benign, like a daily shift in temperature, can do damage. One obvious solution is to digitize everything, but then you have to weigh that process against the carbon footprint that it leaves behind. If you want to read more, I will leave a link to the original article in the show notes. As I've been mentioning, I've moved all talk of extra hardcover and paperback releases to my weekly newsletter in hopes of keeping this podcast bite-sized. The giveaway is ongoing for Grady Hendrix's latest novel, How to Sell a Haunted House. All you have to do is enter to sign up for my Books Are My People newsletter. I'll leave a link in the show notes, or you can visit Instagram at Jennifer Calieris or search for it by looking for Books Are My People. Scroll until you see the How to Sell a Haunted House post and follow the directions. I will pick one winner on February 5th, and this giveaway is open to U.S. mailing addresses only. And speaking of Grady Hendrix, surprise, he is our guest this week. Grady Hendrix is an award-winning novelist and screenwriter living in New York City. He is the author of Horror Store, My Best Friend's Exorcism, which was adapted into a feature film by Amazon Studios, 
We Sold Our Souls, The New York Times Bestsellers, The Southern Book Club's Guide to Slaying Vampires, and The Final Girl Support Group. Grady also authored the Bram Stoker award-winning nonfiction book, Paperbacks from Hell, a history of the horror paperback boom of the 70s and 80s. And his latest nonfiction book is These Fists Break Bricks, How Kung Fu Movies Swept America and Changed the World. So welcome, Grady. It's so exciting to have you here. Where are you calling in from today? I am down and I'm in the middle of my book tour. So I am down in South Carolina. Uh, I was just doing a show here and down in Savannah. And then I go down to Florida for my first the first time I've ever done a show in Florida, and then it's off to Alabama, and then Texas, and then Chicago, and then Massachusetts. So I am I am in the thick of it. I'm in the vortex. You are on a whirlwind tour. Well, as I mentioned on the last podcast, I'm a super fan and have been recommending your books on my podcast oh, for you. years. So this really is this is such a treat for me, and I'm so excited for you that the Southern Book Club's Guide to Slaying Vampires is currently being adapted into a TV series. Which is well, it's really nice because it's being adapted by some folks who are actually out of Charleston, um, and I feel like it, we had worked with some people on it who weren't familiar with Charleston in the South, really. And I think it was during the pandemic they were working on it, and they weren't able to get down here. And it's you know. I feel like place is so important and it's just hard to get it right if you don't know the lay of the land. And so I'm really psyched the people working on it are are out of Charleston, which if they don't know the lay of the land, man, it's not through lack of trying. Can you share with listeners what How to Sell a Haunted House is about? It's about two adult siblings, uh, Mark and Louise, who hate each other. And um, he's a giant drama queen screw up and she's an oldest sister who tries to do the right thing at all times. And they have to come together when their parents pass away and they need to go back home and clean out their childhood home and put it on the market. And the childhood home is haunted, of course. And it's haunted by puppets and dolls, which is disgusting and I feel guilty about. Um, You know, my publisher and I, my editor and I did spend a little bit of time. Should we put a large red warning on the cover that says warning? haunted dolls. Um, but we figured that would scare away our readership. So you just go in cold. Haunted dolls are so creepy and haunted puppets are so creepy. And it's such a wonderfully creepy novel. When oh, Lu- when Louise is at church at the top of chapter seven, she makes a comment about her parents' funeral is like Jim Henson's funeral, because the attendees oh, yeah. are not only puppeteers, but they all have a puppet on each on an arm. And as an aside, my dad actually worked as a writer for Jim Henson. And yeah, specifically, he wrote for Rolf, who was the piano playing dog when he was a regular on the Jimmy Dean show. And it made me want to ask you, how much research did you have to do on puppets and puppetry? I belonged for a little bit to a radical puppet collective myself. Um, And so I've done puppetry and a lot of mask work and things and in university. And um, so I know it pretty well. And I am a huge, huge Jim Henson fan. Um, I think, you know, he's one of those people who came out of nowhere and really created something that wasn't there before. And I think that's so, what he did was so impressive. I've read that, I've read his biography like two or three times, um, just because I think what he did was so impressive. And growing up, I was a huge Muppet Show fan. And it's so weird to watch the Muppet Show now, because it's a little like, rocky or death wish like it's not the movie you remember it's not what you think it is you know what i mean you remember it as one thing 
And then you look at it and you're like, oh, this is a slightly, it, it's a lot. If you come in thinking, oh, it's, it was a kid's show that adults could enjoy, you're like, well, it's more of a kid's show, really. And if you come thinking it's a it's a adult show that kids also liked, you're like, well, it's a lot more adult than I remember. It's very, it's a weird show. It depends on where you're looking at it. So yeah, no, I'm I'm all over puppets and have been for most of my life. It's my secret shame. Well, it's not so secret anymore. I think the for the Muppet Show, you remember it with like sweetness and nostalgia, and really, it's a little off kilter. I always found watching it as a kid really tense because you identify with Kermit, but the show consists of basically Kermit trying to get everyone to do what they're supposed to be doing, and no one will do it. And it made me so tense as a kid like oh my god can they please get this show mounted why aren't people listening to kermit i think uh the book horror store was the first horror novel i'd ever read because i really scare easily and i asked rachel harrison this question and i'm going to ask you as well do you ever spook yourself when you're writing scary scenes it's not so much scaring yourself because those scares, you're like, oh, that'll work. And then it's a matter of sort of getting it on paper and engineering it to work. You know, okay, this sentence needs to be a little longer. This is a little shorter. We need to do this here. Where I find it is um, in moments of real extremity, you really want to feel it on your body. And so like I did a book called We Sold Our Souls. And there's a moment where someone crawls through a very narrow, very claustrophobic tunnel. And that was really hard because I'm I'm claustrophobic myself. And so living that for a couple of days was really unpleasant. Um, there's another scene in that book where someone uh, meets their doom in a horrible way. And that was, I didn't realize how unpleasant I found it, but I realized I was putting off writing that scene for a while. Um, and so there are things that you'll find yourself putting off and procrastinating instead of doing or you know you've got to feel that on your body. And so that's the stuff that really like, not so much scaring, but more that. Well, it definitely works because it scares this reader here. What are you working on next? It's set in 1970 in a home for unwed mothers. And it's sort of a Rosemary's baby set in a home for unwed mothers in 1970. And I'm, uh, I've been obsessed with the homes for unwed mothers because it's just it's such a forgotten thing and it's very hard to find research material on it because it's something that there's, I mean, I, I bought almost all the books you can find on it and there's four, maybe five. Um, and it was so heartbreaking. There were, there were, I think estimates where there were about a quarter of a million, uh, unmarried women having babies every year in the States from probably the late thirties on through, and especially after 1946 on through 1973 and it's and we 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 didn't do right by them i've got two older relatives who were both sent away as they call it when they were teenagers and we failed these women these young women and and i and i I actually like to call them girls just not to diminish them but to remind people that these are not when these are 14 year old kids and 13 year old kids and 15 year old kids and we ripped them away from everything familiar and treated them like criminals and locked them up and hid them as if they'd done something wrong when all they'd done was the most natural thing on earth. The fact that there are no, that there's a lack of books on this subject definitely makes it feel like, you know, this part of history is trying to be erased. 
Yeah, to some extent. And it's funny, there's several paperbacks I found, like there's a paperback series called House of Shame, which are like these fictionalized books set in homes for unwed mothers that are really have no connection to reality from the 70s. And there's a few others, but like from the 80s and from the 90s, very almost nothing. So uh, there's a book, if anyone's interested, um, uh, it's a, there's a book called um, Girls of Huntington House. Uh, which is out of print, but you can find copies pretty easily. And um, it was it's written by um, Blossom Elfman. And she's Danny Elfman, the composer's mother. And she was actually a teacher in a home for unwed uh, mothers. And it's based on her experience. And it's a fantastic book. I mean, I would say it's sort of, I mean, it, it's a, got, serving a different purpose. It's not quite so self-consciously literary, but it is really the one flew over the cuckoo's nest. Um, for for teenage women um so yeah but it's interesting it's just it's something we just want to forget and it's something that wasn't right and on the one hand i feel like these girls had to have this happen to them they couldn't have stayed in their communities and had these because they would have been ostracized it would have prevented them you know from moving forward with their lives it would have been punitive at the same time taking them and locking them away and then taking their babies from, I mean, I was reading, there's one oral history called the girls who went away. That's amazing. And more than one of the women say in it, I didn't give my baby up. My baby was taken from me because yeah. what kind of conscious decision can you make at 13 years old about keeping your child or putting them up for adoption? And so what we did to these girls was unconscionable, but we set up a world where it was the only thing we could do. And so I've sort of wound up in a place where my feeling is like, I can't take a stand on it. I get why it happened. I wish it hadn't. And I feel like they never should have been in that. They, we, that never should have happened to them. But I don't know what the alternative would have been. So it's just, it's it's a really tough place with this. It's, 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 it's a hard book to write. Um, just, and also because I'm a middle-aged man with no children writing about pregnant women. So... Yeah, but you write women so well. I mean, it's one of the I things I absolutely that. love about all of your novels. I appreciate that. This is one where I'm worried I might be a little over my head. I've got I've got a couple of OBs and some labor and delivery physicians and a lot. I've done like 11 or 12 interviews with people I know who've had kids about their, their birth story. So I'm trying, I'm trying. Well, I will link up to Blossom's book in the show notes if anyone wants oh, cool. to read up on it. In this latest book, you nailed sibling dynamics and Luis's fraught relationship with her mother. That car accident scene is so spine tingling. So if you're looking for a February fright to read under the covers or anywhere else, check out How to Sell a Haunted House by Grady Hendrix. And now we're gonna move on to book recommendations. So Grady, what is your first pick? Okay, so my first pick is Michael McDowell's The Elementals. And Michael McDowell, this is a book from the late 70s, early 80s. He is best known for writing Nightmare Before Christmas and Beetlejuice, the screenplays. Uh, he passed away from AIDS in the mid 80s. And he was an amazing writer. He was a great stylist and his books just move. Um, Stephen King called him probably the greatest paperback original author in America. And it's not wrong. And The Elementals, he's a Southern writer. And The Elementals is a Southern haunted house book that I don't think I've ever recommended it to someone who hasn't loved it. So Michael McDowell's Elementals, that's my first recommendation. My first pick is Mame by Jessica George, which comes out tomorrow. 
This book is about Maddie, who's Ghanaian, living in Croydon, South London, but her family calls her Mame, which has many meanings in Twi, including woman. She lives with her father, who's suffering from Parkinson's, and her mom has returned to Ghana, a familial situation she'd prefer stays in the family. Her current circumstances have left Maddie sad and searching for meaning in her life. She works at the Covent Garden Theatre, negotiating predominantly white spaces rife with micro and macro aggressions, which she finds exhausting to deal with. When her mom returns to London, Maddie is ready to start living her life to its fullest. But when tragedy strikes, she finds herself at a crossroads, forced to reckon with family duty and living between two cultures. This is a beautifully written and moving novel that explores Maddie coming into her own. Thank you to St. Martin's Press and to NetGalley for the advanced review copy. And again, that was Mame, spelled M-A-A-M-E, by Jessica George. What is your next pick? So um, from a female author, and to go from a prose novel to a graphic novel, Emily Carroll's Through the Woods is a book I adore, and I've given it as a gift a ton. It's a series of um, fairy tales, very dark fairy tales and folk tales that she writes. And her illustration style is amazing, and it really works. It's one of those times when the art and those text are pulling in the same direction, not against each other. And I love folk tales and fairy tales. I can't write them. I, I'm very bad at pastiche, but she nails it. And they're, these are ones that genuinely work as being scary. So Through the Woods by Emily Carroll, I recommend without hesitation. My second pick for today is Vampire Weekend by Mike Chen, which also comes out tomorrow. And Mike Chen and I share the same literary agency. Fun fact. Louise Chow is a modern-day vampire in her 40s living in San Francisco. She loves punk music and playing the guitar and dreams of being in a band one day. She has literally had an eternity to make these dreams come true. During her most recent band audition, she had a reaction to the garlic in the room and began bleeding out her eyes, as you do when you're a vampire. She's only ever broken vampire code twice, once revealing her true identity to her late Aunt Laura, and again to her bandmate and best friend, Marshall. Louise is a janitor at a hospital where she conveniently collects blood bags, her food source. Citizens of San Francisco are collectively scared when a third victim shows up at a hospital supposedly suffering from a vampire attack. Eric, the local vampire community leader, tries to bring the vampire community together through his new app, but are his motives genuine? And who is this young adult who just shows up at Luis's home claiming to be a relative, and what does he want? This is a fun and funny speculative novel about vampires with a focus on music and family, written with Chen's typical reverence for San Francisco as the backdrop. Thank you to Harlequin Trade Publishing and to NetGalley for the advanced review copy. And what is your last pick for us today? My last pick is, so I'm going to go for another graphic novel, and I know maybe I'm cheating, but um, Junji Ito's Shiver. Uh, it's called uh, Shiver, Junji Ito's Collected Stories, and he is a manga artist from Japan. He was a dental technician before he started doing horror, and he is doing something special. A lot of times when you read horror, you feel like you're reading a trope of a trope. You're reading, it's werewolves in space, it's vampires in the South, it's, it's something with something else. Ito is 
or a complete original. And his stuff is really deeply unnerving and really disturbing. And it is inseparable from its art. And it's it's a book that, and he's done several story collections as well as a few full length ones. You can't go wrong with him. And he is a voice that is starting to be heard more in the West, but really he deserves more than he's getting, more awareness than he's getting. So um, Shiver, Junji Ito's Collected Stories is a book I would also recommend um, to anyone who wants to be repulsed and um, terrified in equal measure. And graphic novels are never cheating. Graphic novels are books too. Um, and I've got a fourth if you want it, but only if we oh, have time. Oh, sure, a bonus book. So another book I recommend to a lot of people is Elizabeth Engstrom's When Darkness Loves Us. She was writing around the same time as Michael McDowell, late 70s, early 80s. And it's composed of two novellas and they don't really have anything to do with each other, but they were sold together because they're just really powerful. Um, and the first one is about a young, pregnant, uh, newly married woman who finds herself trapped in a system of underground tunnels. And it is one of the most harrowing books I've ever read. And then the back half is a novella called Beauty Is about a young developmentally disabled woman who's who's got a horrible facial disfigurement. And she is abused in this small town she lives in, but her mother was a faith healer. And slowly she's inherited her mother's powers and slowly she begins to sort of heal herself and it starts the effects this has on the people around her. And it's really, imagine Flowers for Algernon, but from a, a really small town, uh, New York, upstate horror point of view. So Elizabeth Engstrom's When Darkness Loves Us is another book. And when I read it, it just blew me away. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me today. I was so excited when your book came out. And then I was so sad when it ended. But I'm happy now knowing there are more Grady Hendrix books in my future. Next up for me is End Papers by Jennifer Saverin Kelly. Grady, what are you going to be reading next? Reading next is actually, I'm so I'm trying not to read too much horror right now. So I'm actually reading, this is so pretentious, but um, it's a book, it's a biography of John Donne, the Elizabethan poet. Um, and it's called Super Infinite. And it's by um, Catherine Rundell uh, or Rundell. But it just came out last year and I started reading it and I got a chapter in and was like, I have to own a copy of this. It's a phenomenal book. And where can people find you on social media? The best place to find me or avoid me is um, GradyHendrix.com. And that has links to all my social media platforms and my books and the events I'm doing and which I'll be doing for the next several weeks all over the country. So that is the place, GradyHendrix.com. And as always, I'm most active on Instagram at Jennifer Calieris or search for books are my people and it will lead you to me. I'll leave links in the show notes to all of the books we talked about today, including how to Sell a Haunted House by Grady Hendrix. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Oh, dude, thanks for having me. I'll be back February 13th. And until then, I hope you all have a wonderfully bookish week. <laughs>